Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, uh, Dr. Mark List. Before we get into today's uh, episode, we're going to hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox, like we always do, where you can send me uh, any questions, any concerns, any feedback, anything you want us to discuss, any, any topics you want us to bring up on the podcast for review. Or if you have any jokes, uh, uh, like this anonymous listener who uh, who sent me this email, uh, Doctor List, I have a joke for you this week. I'm so excited to share this. Okay, let's 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 do it anonymous. Oh, uh, uh, before the, apparently this is a not suitable for little ears. So if you are listening to this in the car, if you are listening to this around uh, children or or in a in a public space, uh, please pause and and resume at a time when you are not around little ones, uh, little ears, or in a public space. Uh, thank you. Uh, the joke from our anonymous listener says, "You know, when I was in medical school, I tried to become an orthopedic surgeon, but when I applied, they said I couldn't get in because I was circumcised. Apparently, you need to be a complete dick." Ooh, I love orthopedic surgery jokes. I love it. Uh, thanks for the joke. Uh, we will, uh, Bob, let's start the intro and let's start the episode. Primary Care Podcast is written and by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past, or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, it's your friend, your best friend, your confidant, your favorite partner, your favorite podcasting host, uh, Dr. Mark List, with you back for another episode of the Primary Care Pod. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the listen. Uh, we today are talking about a, a, an important topic, an important topic. And I think one of the problems, this is not, mess- maybe this is maybe this is a big issue, uh, internationally for for international listeners, I think I think this applies to everybody, especially in medicine, but everyone in general. One one trait that I think is is really rare nowadays in many adults and in many professionals is the ability to admit that you are wrong. You are to be able to admit that what you were trained on, what bias you have, the way that you practice medicine, live your life is wrong, okay? Uh, In our country, I I think the inability to say, I was wrong and change our mind has led us into a a whole host of issues in our society. In medicine, we see this a lot when people have, oh, that's my my notification from my nurse that she wants to talk to me. Uh, Okay, hold on. Okay, okay, we're back. So, I, I think in medicine, this gets into people who are trained a certain way or believe something because it was passed on uh, from an attending to them. It's how it's how an attending did things, and so they learned it that way, or a preceptor did something, so they learned it that way, and maybe not necessarily check the evidence. Sometimes it's based on weak or anecdotal evidence. Uh, sometimes there is evidence, but it's it's questionable or the evidence is incomplete. And then when new evidence is brought up, they still refuse to change because it's how they've always done things and 
you know, in their opinion, based on their anecdotal experiences as a physician, um, it, it has always worked out. And so there's no reason to change. We saw this a lot when the new PAP guidelines came out, where providers were still doing PAPs every year. I talked about this on the last episode. Or they, they weren't spreading them out. They weren't doing the co-testing. They weren't doing every five years. They were, they were but but it was something that they were doing because they thought it was right. Because that's how they, 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 they did this. Um, they did things. When the same thing applies to one of our first episodes, where the evidence does not support does not support uh, antibiotics for dental procedures for prosthetic joint infections to prevent prosthetic joint infections. And, you know, this is something where patients could be harmed, C. diff, unnecessary antibiotic resistance, uh, antibiotic associated diarrhea, when multiple organizations have come out in support of no longer providing that antibiotic prophylaxis. Uh, dental associations, orthopedic associations, uh, international associations, because the data is just not there. And yet we keep doing it because things, uh, that's how we've always done things. Uh, today's article that I want to bring up uh, was, it, it came out last month. Uh, let's pull this up here. July 2020, Association of Statin Use with All-Cause and Cardiovascular Mortality in the United States Veterans, 75 Years and Older. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because I have always heard or, 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 or read in the past or was told by other people, you know, once in, 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 in older patients, 75 plus, who do not have cardiovascular disease, there is very little evidence to support statin use in people who are 75, 80 years old, etc. Because it takes a long time for that LDL reduction found in in statins to really have a significant impact and really this isn't necessarily that there's a lack of evidence that there's a lack of proven evidence there's just a ton of there's just a, a lack of evidence uh for for point of reference uh in the lancet in 2019 in february there was a meta-analysis of of a thousand participants over 22 trials okay and they divided things into age respective brackets. So 55 years and younger, 55 to 60, yada, 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 and 75 plus. And it looked at statin therapy versus controls, try to match them. And in statin, in statin trials where they compared intensive statins to low intensive statins. Okay, so this was this was pretty garbage meta-analysis data, but it showed that as patients on statins, as you got older, the mortality benefits, the cardiovascular mortality benefits, the reduction, the risk reduction percentages trended lower as you increased age. So the benefit that we saw in younger patients, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds who were on statins or on higher, higher doses of statins, as you got older, that benefit was decreased, okay? And there's lots of theories about, you know, these patients don't have cardiovascular disease, you know, just because they have mildly elevated LDL levels, is there really going to be any benefit? So this, this study was not a, was not a randomized control trial, but it was a respective cohort study based on the VA database. Okay. And they had 326,000, 327,000 veterans. Okay. Mean age, 81 years old, 97% white, 97% 
91% white, 97% male. Okay, so that's an important caveat that this is a highly white male population. Okay, so we don't know if it applies to, to females. Does, do we, not, we do not know if it applies to uh, non-Caucasian populations. Okay, very important if you are in, in one of those, if your patient population does not represent that 91% demographic. Uh, during a mean follow-up of seven years, okay, they tried to do propensity-weighted matching to these to these patients, okay? And while this is not a a um, a randomized control trial, the way that they did this study was really good in that they they took non-statin users, at, none of these patients were on statins at the beginning of the at the beginning of the study, and they got rid of anybody who had coronary coronary artery disease. And what they did then is they then followed people who then were on a statin were newly initiated statins during the study period. So these were old people who were put on a statin in this database, compared them to continued non-statin users. And they found that there were fewer cardiovascular deaths per 1,000 person years, okay, between statin users and non-users. And irrespective of cardiovascular disease, overall mortality was down as well. So there's there's a little bit of of benefit that is not even related to cardiovascular mortality. Crude cardiovascular mortality in statin users was 22.6 person years per 1,000 person years, and non-users was 25.7, which was statistically significant. Whether that's meaningful whether that's clinically meaningful, whether three per 1,000 person years is a meaningful statistic is something you have to compare to other other 1,000 person year type of calculations. But the corresponding all-cause mortality was 78.7 to 98.2 per 1,000 person years. So a huge overall all-cause mortality gap in the stat users versus the non-users while at the same time having a statistically different benefit in cardiovascular mortality, but a lot smaller in terms of overall, you know, mortality per 1,000 patient years. So when they looked at the data, okay, they tried to do these sensitivity analysis hazard ratios starting at two-year intervals after the index date because we know in trial data that a lot of the time to benefit for statins truly begins at two to five years in terms of cardiovascular mortality, cardiovascular events. That two to five years is pretty important to lower LDL uh, cholesterol in order to see significant benefit, okay? There's probably some benefit in the short, in the very, very short term, even within two weeks, because of what we think is this hardening of the cholesterol plaque deposits that are already there. So they're less likely to rupture. They're less likely to, uh, you're, you know, they, they quote, say, it stabilizes these plaques. So... They, but they still included people who died in the first 150 days. Now, how they how they looked in these secondary analyses? Okay, they pre-specified subgroups to sex, race, diabetes, dementia, arthritis, etc., and they ran these interactions for all the subgroups. And then they did this because of the potential type one error due to multiple comparisons. 
Findings from the secondary analysis and secondary endpoints should be interpreted as exploratory, yada, yada, yada. There was propensity weighting procedure to try to recreate the overlap of weighting. So when they did this, they really, really tried to, they did a really good job to account for comp confounding variables with this propensity score matching and try to minimize the extreme propensity scores on the modeling output. And if you look at the confidence intervals, they're really, really tight confidence intervals. So we're not having, you know, these crazy meta-analysis type of confidence intervals where they're crazy big. And so you can't really say much about the, the, the study because confidence intervals are so big. But there's, there's definitely some benefit to old patients being on stats. So why am I making such a big deal about this? Well, because the data has always been really sparse on this. And so I've always talked to my older patients who are 75, 80, 85 plus and talked about how, you know, you might not benefit from being on a statin because, you know, it takes time for the statin to really, you know, lower mortality benefit, give you mortality benefit, lower your risk for developing heart attack or stroke by lowering your LDL and lowering your overall risk factors. And so maybe it's a, it's a risk benefit discussion with patients. Okay. But for a long time, people have argued that statins do other things, you know, to reduce your risk for heart attack and all cause mortality and strokes that aren't just lowering your LDL. There's some, whether it's magical hand-waving discussion about anti-inflammatory properties uh, and all these other effects that statins could have um, in within the human body that might be, uh, in addition to just straight LDL lowering, uh, reducing mortality, this this study kind of lends credence to that, that, you know, there's a big gap in the, there's a big change in the overall mortality and a smaller gap, but a statistically significant gap in the cardiovascular mortality. In essence, what I'm saying is this is something that is likely going to highly influence my practice. Yes, we need a randomized control trial of 80 plus year olds where they are not on, they are not on a statin, but then are started on a statin due to high cholesterol, due to you know, overall perceived improvement uh, or, or benefit based on the risk score compared to patients who stay on control and do not get on a statin. I think that there is a lot more to say about this, but I think that this has tilted the balance of there's probably not enough benefit to an older person being on it for long-term mortality benefit to now shifting me towards there's probably some value in even older adults with high cholesterol who who would benefit who would traditionally benefit from being started on a statin from getting on a statin again this excluded people who at the beginning of the study had known coronary artery disease okay these are people that were started on statins just because they had high cholesterol not because they had anginal symptoms or because they had previous stent or previous known disease okay so i think this is something where Another example of when I first read the article, I read the headline and I said, huh, that can't be right because that came counter to my preconceived bias of older patients don't benefit from statins as much. And, and you know, this now kind of, again, adds more weight to the other side. I, I mentioned in a previous discussion that I try to not be a, I try not to be a hugely staunch you know, advocate of saying this is the this is absolutely 100% the right thing to do at all times, and we should always do this. 
Um, well, I do that for some things, but without a ton of good evidence behind it. And so this is another example of, you know, before you go out and you stick your, your neck on a limb and you say, I know the right answer because I'm this smart doctor who knows everything. I think, again, having this humble discussion with your patients about, yeah, we think the evidence says this, but, you know, let's talk about the pros and the cons because the cons still exist, right? Let's not pretend that patients who are especially 80 love statins. You know, there's still a huge percentage of patients who are statin intolerant, uh, patients who have significant side effects, including uh, increased blood sugars, increased risk for diabetes, uh, increased risk for muscle aches and pains and, and decreased quality of life. But if quantity of life and decreased mortality and decreased cardiovascular events is an important thing for the patient, there's probably some benefit to it. So overall, uh, this is an example of a study where I am certainly going to adjust my practice style in terms of leaning more towards the pro-statin in the 80-plus-year-old group, 75-plus-year-old group. And again, uh, I think it's also important to know that it is still important that these patients have a a, a, a better quality of life or a, a better uh, perceived um, life expectancy because, again, you're still going to have to have some time before statins truly, truly, truly give you a, an overall mortality benefit. Uh, in this study, there was a seven-year follow-up. So I think that, again, leads more, mean more credence to if these are pretty healthy people out in the community, they're not, you know, nursing home bound, they're not end of life, they're not cancer patients, uh, they don't have advanced cardiovascular disease, there probably is some benefit for statins in order to reduce overall mortality and decrease cardiovascular events. So again, practice changing for me. I don't know if it's practice changing for you. Maybe you're already doing this. Maybe you're already still aggressive in statins in 80 plus year olds. Uh, if so, kudos to you. Uh, this study, again, um, uh, reinforces that. So continue to do that. But again, uh, this is something where I'm going to say I was wrong. I was probably giving not terrible information, but not optimal information to my patients when we were making the shared decision. And so we'll adjust that and do better in the future. Uh, so again, this has been Dr. Mark List with the Primary Care Podcast. Reminding you, you don't need to stay up to date. Uh, you don't need to stay up to date. Yes, you do. You don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, I appreciate any feedback you have at primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, appreciate you listening. Uh, until next week, thanks and have a great week.